Highland Falls, El Paso, Clarksville, Watertown, and from other important military capitals around the globe. Eye on Defense brings the top military and defense issues into focus. Eye on Defense is proudly sponsored by Big Sarge Pre-Owned TA-50 Emporium and The Last Hope Jewelry and Pawn. And now, citizens of Earth, brace yourselves for the next episode of Eye on Defense. Defense, 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 defense. All right, we're back, everybody. This is episode 143, 16 July. Just did a show two days ago, but I had some time on my hands. I'm a little hurt right now. I should be riding my bike or going hiking. You know, it's been nice, hot, but nice, and uh, a little hurt. So I'm taking today just to maybe try to heal. So uh, since I had my time, some time on my hands, I figured I'd do another program. And I told everybody last program that we do some Indo-Pacific stuff. We hadn't done that for a while. I got one, two, three, at least three or four good articles on the Indo-Pacific but we always seem to find ourselves in Europe, and that's how we're going to start the program in Europe. The first story is a, it's an older story. I hadn't seen it. I actually saw it on Twitter today from uh, High North News, but uh, I couldn't download it. So I had to, anyway, I ended up finding it. But it's an older story from 21 June, and I got it from the avi- aviationist uh, David Cincinnati. I'm probably murdering his name. Uh, two B-1B Lancers have carried out the first ever U.S. bomber landing in Sweden since World War II. Uh, really good story. So two B-1B Lancer bombers belong to the 7th Bomb Wing from Dias Air Force Base, Texas, landed at Lula Kalix Airport in Sweden. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong also. The two aircraft, serial number 860105 and 860103, are the first two B-1 bombers ever to land in Sweden. Of course, you know, Sweden is going to be a member of NATO, the 32nd member come October. And those two aircraft serial numbers, 860105, 860103, I believe 86 means that's when they were built in 86. Here's a quote from the U.S. Air Force. United States forces have conducted exercises and training in the Arctic region, but this landing fortifies not only the friendship between the United States and Sweden, but the collective defense of Europe. That's the USAF public release. And Swedish Deputy Air Force Brigadier General Tommy Peterson had a quote, This is a historic event. In these troubled times, and while waiting for NATO membership, it is important to have strong partners. We have repeated co-exercises with the Bomber Task Force, where we have practiced the entire chain, from escort and liaison to sharp weapons action. And now we are taking the next step in our cooperation by basing the B-1B Lancer on Swedish soil. The two B-1Bs were escorted by three... Uh, JAS-39 Gripen Air, uh, jets from the Swedish Air Force on their way to the airport. That's a really good story there. Two B-1Bs land in Sweden. So Sweden's already getting ready to be a NATO partner. Next story is a UK story from Breaking Defense. Tim Martin, who I think he's one of their aviation riders. Uh, 15 July, yesterday. UK Ministry of Defense, oh, the, the title is UK Reducing New Medium Helicopter Buy to 25 to 35 Aircraft. Uh, UK Ministry of Defense has decided to slash the number of aircraft set to be acquired under the $1.3 billion New Medium Helicopter Program, also known as NMH, to a maximum of 35 units. 
An upper limit of 45 aircraft had been set in November of 21, but funding issues have led to a much lower target. So from 44 to 35, or 25 to 35. The acquisition calls for the replacement of Puma helicopters and a number of small rotary fleets, including the Bell 212, Bell 412, and AS-365 Dolphin. United Kingdom has still set to confirm when a production contract will happen and when the new medium helicopter will come into service. A number of initial requirements have been based around capability performance and engineering support. Uh, however, wait a minute, let me find this. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm lost on something here. I got lost. Here we go. Let me get back here. Competitors have also been directed by the Ministry of Defense to use a number of defensive aid kits to prepare for any testing and compliance that would be required once an aircraft production selection has been made. The UK Ministry of Defense did not immediately respond to off-hours comment on the new medium helicopter plans. Now, Airbus is, is probably one of the uh, competitors. Uh, if selected, Airbus plans on setting up an HM-175 helicopter production line in Wales, where it currently man manufactures A380 commercial airliner wings. But it faces competition from Leonardo UK, which is offering the AW149, and Lockheed Martin's SM70, I'm sorry, S70M Blackhawk. So for this new medium helicopter, they went from 44 to 35, and it looks like there's three competitors, Airbus, Leonardo, and Lockheed Martin. Uh, the United Kingdom is expected, expected to retire the Puma fleet in 2025, which leaves industry with a compressed timeline. But uh, the Air Chief Marshal Richard Knight, Chief of the Air, Air Staff, told lawmaker, lawmakers in May that an extension to 27 or 28 could be made. So if they can't get it done by 25, I mean, it's almost 25, let's be honest. We're halfway through 23, and that leaves about 18 months until you get to 25. So they probably will push it out, right? So next story, also from the UK. This is a defense news story. British defense minister to step down this year, Andrew Chudder, 15 July, yesterday. British defense minister Ben Wallace is said to quit his position later this year. He plans to vacate his role when Prime Minister Rishi Shunak conducts a government reshuffle expected sometime in September. Uh, Wallace, a supporter of former Prime Minister Boris Johnson, didn't offer a reason for his decision to quit, but told the newspaper he was conscious of, to of the toll the years in government has taken on his family. Uh, Wallace, an ex-soldier, has been Defense Secretary for four years, and before that was a security minister. He has received praise in Britain for his upfront support of Ukraine with a significant supply of weapons and training, but caused a stir a few days ago when he criticized the Ukrainian government for not showing sufficient gratitude to nations like Britain. He noted that UK is, isn't an Amazon delivery service for military hardware. That's a pretty good one. Uh, Wallace is a long-serving conservative in the post, but also fought for more money for the British military. The result of how this effort may become clear when a document on how Britain plans to reshape its forces, known as a command paper, is published as soon as Monday. I guess it's in a couple of days. And that's end of story. So there's our three Europe stories. Uh, one from Sweden and two from the UK. 
And now we'll start on the uh, Indo-Pacific stuff. Uh, there's a really good article from, I think it's from, yep, Defense News. New Zealand military chief talks recruitment drones in Ukraine. It's a very good interview done by Nick Lee Frampton. I'll get to that toward the end. I was going to start off with that, but it's kind of a, a long interview and I didn't want to. I'll get to that in a minute. I'm going to start first with uh, a China story and pull it up here. This is from USNI, which is where I go to all my naval news. Uh, Mallory Shelbourne, China protests U.S. Navy P-8 flight over Taiwan Strait. It's always seemed to happen with Taiwan, China, United States is is in the mix. So another one of these reoccurring stories. This is from 13 July. China's military protested a U.S. Navy P-8 flight through the Taiwan Strait on Thursday, a couple of days ago, as the PLA continues operating near the island. China's Ministry of National Defense said the United States hyped publicly uh, the aircraft transit, according to English newspaper statement, signing a People's Liberation Army Eastern Theater Command spokesperson. Here's the quote. The troops of the PLA Eastern Theater Command have tracked and monitored the United States aircraft the whole course and handled it within laws of, and regulations. The U.S. Navy P-8 Poseidon flew south over the Taiwan Strait. Uh, the USNI News understands the U.S. Navy P-8s periodically fly over the Taiwan Strait. The U.S. aircraft flight comes as PLA and the People's Liberation Army Navy perform drills around Taiwan. As of Thursday morning local time, a couple days ago, Taiwan identified 33 aircraft flying near the island, including 24 that flew over the median line in the strait into the air defense identification zone. Uh, It should be noted that the air defense identification zone is not the same as airspace and is a much larger area. As of Thursday morning, nine PLA ships were operating around the island, according to Taiwan's Ministry of National Defense. End of story. So that seems like something that's always happened in Taiwan and China, which makes everybody in the whole region nervous, including, you know, Japan. So next story is from also USNI, uh, Mazadir, 13 June, United States, UN, and Japan launch protests after North Korean ICBM launch plus Russian ships near Japan. North Korea launched an intercontinental ballistic missile Wednesday, last Wednesday, that landed in the Sea of Japan, drawing criticisms from the United States and the United Nations. North Korea launched the the ICBM shortly before 10 a.m. 10 a.m. local time from the area near North Korean capital of Pyongyang. The ICBM flew for 74 minutes with a flight distance of 1,000 kilometers and a maximum altitude of 6,000 kilometers before reaching the Sea of Japan. It was presumed to have fallen in a location 250 kilometers west of Okushiri Island around 11:12 a.m. The release stated that Japan had lodged a protest with North Korea and condemned the launch. The United Nations, as well as the G7 group of industrialized nations, condemned the launch. Military leaders from the United States, Japan, and Republic of Korea, who were holding a, a trilateral meeting in Hawaii, also cl- criticized the launch. Well, we get the picture. Since April of 22, Japan has deployed ground-based Pac-3 surface-to-air missile system, Patriot, uh, in its southwest islands, along with a ballistic missile defense 
capable destroyer in the East China Sea and Sea of Japan as a precaution. Uh, the Japanese also issued a release on Thursday on the movement of Russian Navy corvettes, uh, the RFS-333 and the RFS-335. At 11 a.m. on Wednesday, these two corvettes were sighted sailing northeast in an area 110 kilometers southwest of the Tsushima and subsequent trans transited northeast through the Tsushima Strait to enter the Sea of Japan. Uh, the Japanese Maritime Self-Defense Force fast attack craft uh, PG-826 shadowed, shadowed the Russian ships. Uh, these two ships, the Russian ships, uh, 333 and 335, both of the Russian Navy Pacific Fleet are likely heading home, having deployed in the second week of May for approximately six-week deployment in the Southeast China, Southeast Asian waters, which included participation in the Indonesian Navy's multinational naval exercise Komodo uh, held in Makassar. End of story. So now you got the Russians over there in the Indo-Pacific. What's next? Uh, another North Korea story. This is from Defense Post, 10 July. North Korea threatens to down U.S. spy planes violating its airspace. North Korea on Monday, last Monday, threatened to shoot down any U.S. spy planes violating its airspace and condemned Washington's plans to deploy a nuclear missile submarine near the Korean Korean Peninsula. A spokesperson for the North Ministry of National Defense said the United States has intensified espionage activities beyond the wartime level with a, quote, provocative flights made by U.S. spy craft, spy aircraft over eight straight days this month, and one reconnaissance plane intruding into its airspace over the East Sea several times, quote, in quotes. Uh, here's another quote. There is no guarantee that sh such a shocking accident as downing of a U.S. Air Force strategic reconnaissance plane will not happen in the East Sea of Korea. They always have a way with words. This, this statement also slammed the planned deployment of a U.S. strategic nuclear asset to the Korean Peninsula as, quote, the most undisguised nuclear blackmail to North Korea, saying it posed grave threat to regional and global security. Washington said in April that it was sent a nuclear-armed ballistic submarine to make its first visit to a South Korean port in decades without specifying the timing. North Korea has conducted multiple sanction-busting launches this year, including test-firing the most powerful inter intercontinental ballistic missile and, in May, attempting to put a military spy satellite in orbit. So we kind of went from the U.S. landing a, a flying reconnaissance flights over Korea, actually the uh, EC, to a U.S. Uh, nuclear sub visiting a South Korean port, and then back to South Korea fly, uh, launching inter intercontinental ballistic missiles, and then they try to put a military satellite into orbit. Uh, South Korea, for their response, South Korea has ramped up defense cooperation with, response, uh, with Washington in response, staging joint military exercises with advanced stealth jets and high-profile U.S. strategic assets. Uh, South Korean President Yoon Suk-yeol is a, uh, attended, because that happened last week, attended the NATO summit in Lithuania last week, seeking stronger cooperation with NATO members over North Korea's growing nuclear and missile threats. And I think I read an article, I'm not, I did, I'm not doing this article, but I read an article about 
some of the NATO countries, mainly France, is not really happy with NATO reaching out to some of the Indo-Pacific countries, like Japan, I think. Uh, well, what am I doing on time? 16 minutes? I got time. So here's a uh, an India story from Reuters, 13 June. In the first, India gifts a warship to Vietnam. This is like the second or third Vietnam story we've done. An Indian Navy missile corvette is on its way to Vietnam as a gift. It's the first warship India has ever given to any country. The domestically built corvette INS Kirpin left India's east coast in late June of 23, the Indian Navy said. India and Vietnam have strengthened their ties in recent years with a special focus on defense as both countries are concerned over increasingly assertive PRC, People's Republic of China. The Corvette is the first time India has given a warship to one of its PRC's neighbors with a coast on the same South China Sea. Beijing claims sovereignty over almost the entire South China Sea, despite a 2016 ruling by International Tribunal dismissing those claims. China's maritime forces continues to harass vessels of smaller claimant states such as Vietnam. The gift was announced during, Viet during Vietnamese Defense Minister uh, Jiang's visit to India in June of 23. The warship, which was commissioned in 1991, is fitted with medium and close-range guns, chaff launchers, and surface-to-surface -surface missiles, the Indian Navy said. I've got another Indian story on aircraft. Should I just get to it? Yeah, I'll just get to it. And then we'll get into the uh, New Zealand story, and that'll be it. This next story is India Defense Research Wing, 16 July. India bid to sail Tejas fighters to Argentina. Uh, exciting developments are on the horizon for Argentina and India defense cooperation as the Argentine Minister of Defense is set to visit India on July 17. According to reports, a breakthrough to a significant military deal between the two countries is expected. Uh, one of the key highlights of this deal is the procurement of fighter jets for the Argentine Air Force. Argentina has been actively seeking modern and capable fighter aircraft to enhance its Air Force capabilities. In response, India has offered the state-of-the-art Tejas MK-1A fighter jet. Uh, according to reports, Argentina is considering placing an order for 15 Tejas Mark I fighter jets from HAL, which is Hindu Hindustan Aeronautics Limited. Uh, the proposed deal holds it has holds the potential to bolster India's defense export portfolio while simultaneously meeting Argentina's pressing defense requirements. That's 15 jets. India has further sweetened the deal by offering customized Tejas MK-1 aircraft specifically tailored to meeting Argentina's operational preferences. The engagement between India and Argentina on the Tejas uh, deal has been ongoing for several months. High-level officials from both countries have been meeting regularly to discuss the details and explore the potential of a partnership. Argentina has reportedly received a comprehensive proposal from India showcasing the capabilities and benefits of the Tejas Mark I. However, it is worth noting that Argentina has also received rival offers from other countries, including China's JF-17 fighter jet and used F-16s from Danish Air Force through the United States government. End of story. So a little bit about the Tejas. So it's 15 of them, Tejas Mark 1A aircraft. 
according to Sergeant Major Google, uh, the Tejas is an India single, Indian single-engine delta-wing light multi-role fighter designed by India, obviously, Hindustan Aeronautics Limited. Uh, it's used by the Indian Navy and the India Air Force. It was developed from the light combat aircraft program, which began in the 1980s to replace aging MiG-21 fighters. Uh, in 2003, it was officially named the Tejas. It is the smallest and lightest in its class of contemporary supersonic combat aircraft. That's kind of a rundown of what it is. Let's see if anybody's using it besides India. Uh, let's see. Here we go. Potential operators. Botswana has approached uh, how for a potentially replacing Canadian CF-5s, Egypt, United States. Uh, failed bids, Argentina. That's probably an older article. This is an older article, obviously. Australia, Malaysia, Sri Lanka, Philippines, United Arab Emirates. Anyway, it's a pretty, pretty good article. Uh, and that's it. Now we're going to move on to the... Uh, we're finished with that one. We'll move on to the... New Zealand, if I can find it. There we go. Thursday, July 6th, a little bit older article. I've had my eye on this article for a minute, and I've almost done it a couple of times, but uh, it's kind of a longer one. So now I think, what am I doing on time? I got some time. Uh, it's from Nick Lee Frampton, New Zealand's military chiefs talks recruitment drones in Ukraine. Uh, Air Marshal Kevin Short, who began service as chief of the New Zealand Defense Force in July 2018, would discuss with Defense News several issues facing the military. Excuse me, a little bit of story on him, backstory. His military service began in January of 76 when he joined the Royal New Zealand Air Force as a navigator. Since then, he has flown more than 5,000 hours, mainly on the recently retired PK, uh, P3K2 Orion. So he's been around a day or two, and he's a pilot. Since June of 23, the force he leads has an end strength of 15,236. Not real big at all. That's a that's a division. <laughs> that's an army division, basically. Uh, regular forces include 4,268 in the army, which is a brigade size, 2,390 in the Air Force, 2,068 in the Navy, they are 3,060 civilians serving in the military and a reserve forces of 3,450 for a grand total of 15,236. Not real big at all. In terms of material, materiel with an E, the Army inventories include 105mm light guns, 8-wheel drive New Zealand light armored vehicle armed with 25mm cannon and the Javelin anti-armor missile. The Air Force fleet includes four New P-8 Poseidon Maritime Patrol and Reconnaissance Aircraft, 8 NH-90 and 8 SH-2G Sea Sprite Helicopters, 5 C-130 Hercules Military Transport Aircraft, 2 Boeing 757 Freight and Passenger Transports. The Navy fleet includes a 568 Polar-class sustainment vessel, a 430-foot protector fleet amphibious and military sea lift vessel, and two 387-foot ANZIC-class frigates. Uh, this interview from 30 June was edited for length and clarity. 
it sounds like the New Zealand's got a pretty capable little force. And being so small at 15236, it wouldn't take much to give them some teeth, make them really modernize. I mean, look what in, in 18 months the world, or at least the West, has done for uh, Ukraine. I mean, with such a small force, it wouldn't be much, you know, 15,000, 4,000 in the army. It wouldn't take much to make these, to, to modernize them pretty quickly. Probably not that expensive either. Anyway, on to the article. Uh, some questions in a normal type of interview, the questions and answers. Um, if you want to get the whole thing, you know, I'll, I'll cherry pick. I don't want to bore everybody. Uh, so this is from Thursday, July 6th. New Zealand military chief talks recruitment drones in Ukraine. Nick Lee Frampton, Defense News. If you want to read the whole thing yourself, I'll get to the questions. But. The author gave a really good rundown of, of the, the military, uh, what they have. I thought that was really good. So here's the first question. New Zealand's weapon systems used to be similar to those of Australia, but that capability gap is widening. How does that affect New Zealand Defense Force? And here's the answer. New Zealand Defense Force seeks to be interoperable with Australian Defense Force, our allies and partners. This is broader than simply... Having the same or similar equipment is about cooperating and integrating across strategic engagement, capability development, training, personnel, and readiness, capability development, in parentheses, concepts, and requirements. That was my addition, not in the article. Uh, recently, uh, capability, I'm sorry, recent capability purchases include the P8A, uh, C-130J, and the fleet replenishment ship uh Aotera, and recently signed Army-to-Army Plan ANZIC Agreement are a few examples of how the New Zealand Defense Force has already and will in the future work alongside Australia and our other partners. The Army-to-Army Plan ANZIC will come up later in the interview. In fact, the next question, what are the benefits of Plan ANZIC? Uh, the answer, the plan aims to reinvigorate longstanding Army-to-Army cooperation with the Australian Army. The plan will balance our enduring characteristics of ANZAC relationship, such as close integration and capability training readiness, as well as retention of sovereign capability and capacity to act in support of independent joint force operations. I don't know what any of that means, but it sounded good. Uh, is entry to the NZDF as open as it could be? What do recruiters tell you? The New Zealand labor market is strong and there is strong competition for young people. I believe the entry criteria is appropriate. I don't think standards should be dropped. We need to look at getting better applicants in the door before they look at other options. Uh, next question. Does the Navy risk having another ship alongside due to few sailors? Uh, answer. It is possible, but the government recently increased remuneration, which on top of the NZDF and Navy initiatives may help arrest the attrition rate. At the moment, the Navy has three vessels in care and custody due to crew limitations. Question, should maritime interests and affairs take precedent over the Army? Answer, all the domains are important, land, sea, air, and information. The fact is that we, for example, deployed to the Pacific that could involve personnel and equipment from all three services, for example. A naval vessel carrying Army engineers and aviation assets in order to respond to an emergency situation resulting from a tropical cyclone. Next question, the Air Force four P-8As 
became operational on 1 July, can they provide the same operational availability as previous six Orions? Answer, yes, four P-8A Poseidons were considered in the business case as a viable option due to improvements in aircraft reliability and by using flight simulators to further reduce flying hours to train air crew. Uh, next question, in June of 2020, five C-130J-30 aircraft, C-130J-30 aircraft were ordered for delivery from 2024. Is that going to plan? Answer, yes, the aircraft delivery is still on schedule. And two more questions. What lessons translate to the New Zealand Defense Force in the war in Ukraine? Answer, the war in Ukraine has illustrated the importance of to the New Zealand Defense Force of maintaining relationships and interoperability with partners and like-minded nations and continuing our high quality of training of our professional personnel so that we're ready and able to support the international community efforts when we're called on. Uh, here's an example. The war in Ukraine has served as a reminder to remain cognizant of and trained for all aspects of combat. Our infantry training teams who are deployed to the United Kingdom to instruct Ukraine's armed forces, trainees, and basic soldiering skills have also emphasized in the training they need to do and the importance of team cohesion on the battlefield. Uh, last question? No. Two more questions. Here's a good one. What is the future for uncrewed systems with the New Zealand Defense Force? There is a future for such technologies in New Zealand Defense Force. The New Zealand Defense Force already uses uncrewed underwater survey technology and explosive ordnance disposal technology and continues to explore opportunities to further de-risk maritime operations as underwater surface and aerial uncrewed capabilities continue to mature. Within the next 12 months, the New Zealand Army is expected to receive three unmanned aircraft systems, unnamed, designed to operate over varied distances in order to add to its existing UAS capabilities. And last but not least, here is a last question. What's top of mind for members of the New Zealand Defense Force? What are they telling you? Uh, personnel raise many varied issues to me as I visit camps and bases. These issues can range from paying allowances to other conditions of service, such as accommodation. They may also raise issues such as deployment opportunities. Um, I am constantly listening, as are other senior officers, to matters raised by personnel. We are nothing without our people, and our people are the most important asset in the New Zealand Defense Force, which is very true. And that's pretty much it. There are a couple more questions I didn't want to get into. But all in all, that's it. Like I said, I think New Zealand Defo New Zealand Defense Force, not very big, but they seem very capable, and it wouldn't take much uh, to improve it. But the front of the article, I sh maybe I should have set the tone with the front of the article. Eh, I'm not going to. I thought what was most important was the comments from, uh, What's his name? I, I lost his name here. I apologize. From Air Marshal Kevin Short. I think his comments were probably the most powerful in the article. All right, that's it. What are we doing on time? 31 minutes. Eh. I thought it would be a shorter episode than this. Like I said, I didn't have much going on today. Uh, God knows what will happen next week at work. Maybe I'll be too busy to even do an episode next week. But I had some time on my hands today. 
And uh, the last episode was, was the episode before that. I can't remember. I did an episode that they played on the radio in Florida. I guess it went okay. I didn't get a chance to listen to it. I I got too busy, and uh, quite frankly, I forgot all about it. Plus, it was the middle of the workday at 3.30, so I couldn't stop doing what I was doing to go listen to it. But I guess it went okay. Um, we'll see. I was I did that to see if I can get some more, uh, I don't know, increase the audience. Maybe I can get some more listeners. Um, we'll see how it goes. I haven't noticed a change yet, but uh, you never know. That's it. 32 minutes. This episode is in the books. I want to thank everybody for listening and good night.